Today, it's my joy, really my delight, to do what my two other fellow pastors have been doing for the last two weeks. We're taking a break from our Mark series. We'll be there next Sunday. But each one of us uh, has, has been thinking and praying about something that's been bubbling up in our hearts that we just wanted to share with you at the beginning of the year. Now, I know it's uh, January 22nd. It's not exactly Happy New Year's, but I've been thinking about this, praying about it for uh, over a month. And uh, as I thought and prayed about it, two things have impressed today's sermon on my heart. First, a few weeks ago, we were able to visit my wife's 95-year-old father, and uh, he's in South Carolina, and he's walked with the Lord for most of his life, but now he's confined to a one-room assisted living uh, facility, and he's doing well, and he's looking forward to going to heaven. He prays, meditates, reads his Bible every day. He's, he's in his, his right mind and uh, thinks a lot about the past, but also about his future. And I don't mean tomorrow. I'm talking about his eternal future. His thoughts, as shared with us, eagerly go toward seeing the Lord someday. And uh, the more I thought about him and his future, the more I thought about mine, because that's where I'm headed. And so are you if you're following Christ by faith. And then also, I thought about last year, 2022, and we had several members go to be with the Lord, both here as well as around the world. Um, And their memorial services, the ones we had here, were both sobering, you know, sad, but also delightful. Because when we would think and talk about our eternal future with God as totally transformed people, well, how could we not get excited? So that's why Paul said long before he died in Philippians 1, for to me to live as Christ And to die, you know how it goes, is gain. And if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? Paul says, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And then he goes on to say, but it's more needful for me to stay here. He wasn't having suicidal thoughts. These are normal, healthy aspirations for every Christian. It's good now. It may be rough, but it will be better, much better by and by. And so when you read, for instance, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, where John says this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The former things are passed away. How many of you have done one of those four things today or this week or this month. 
So thinking about our perfect transformation in heaven got me thinking about life now. You, you know, our world needs transformation from those international conflicts that we hear about to some people I know who are suffering from broken bodies. Dan prayed for some of them today. To fractured relationships. To what you hear on the news, random shootings. Will they stop? to my own struggles with sin and temptation. I mean, transformation? Is it possible to see any change in the right direction toward God and goodness and holiness? And then I got to thinking, could, could Chelton in 2023 see more of us transformed in our dispositions, in our core of who we are, so that when we talk to each other, the way we treat each other will be a little more loving, a little more patient, a little more prayerful. Could it be that God would move in our hearts to make us more generous neighbors to the people that we literally live next to or near or the people we work with or go to school with, so that our friends would be s attracted, not like, oh, they're a really nice person, but why are they treating me this way? That's not normal. And that that would be a bridge to a gospel conversation. So I, I put all that together in, in a pot, stirred it up, and then I remembered that God's ultimate transformation of us that's promised in heaven is, yeah, it, it's, it's true, but it's also happening right now. It is happening right now. Our future hope should be a present reality. And so my topic today is transformation. It's about how God will transform and is right now transforming you and I into the image of Christ. So I don't usually have three points, but I do today. I'm going to talk about the prospect, our future prospect of transformation the process of how we become transformed, and then the practice of how do we do it. So first of all, let's talk about the future, when we will be transformed. Now, step back for a moment and think with me about the big picture of reality, God's story of redemption. You know in the book of Genesis, God creates a perfect world and in it, he puts image bearers, Adam and Eve, human beings made in his image to rightly reflect his values, his image, everything about the heavenly creator on earth, from everything they do, how they relate to each other, and how they live as flourishing human beings on this brand new earth. That was God's purpose, and it's still God's purpose. 
his giftedness of people, the way they have their families, build their societies, and this isn't in the Bible, it's my imagination, perhaps taking that to other worlds that don't know that much about God as yet. Well, you also know that humanity rebelled. Adam and Eve refused to submit to their own good creator. They thought they could do it better themselves. And so in their rebellion, what would God do? He could have walked away. He could have wiped them out. But instead, he set to redeem them. He moved to call them back and make them his own. And since that time in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, God has been looking for people, selecting people for his, not just life on earth, but for his eternal kingdom. When he makes a new earth and a new heaven, people who would be not like Adam and Eve, but would be perfect in holiness, not able to sin anymore. But until that time, there's a problem. And of course, that problem is that the people that he selects are still not able to be like him. They cannot transform themselves. And so, the good news, the good, the gospel has always been, you can't, God can. And so, whether it was Abraham in the book of Genesis, who saw the stars when God said, I will bless you. And Abram believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Or whether it were those Israelites that were dying of a serpent bite, couldn't do a thing to heal their bodies, and they simply looked at a serpent made out of brass, bronze, and as they looked, they were healed and they lived. Or whether it's you and I who know what the calling is, be perfect. God, I can't. Good. I have provided a lamb for you to take your place. That's the good news of forgiveness by faith alone. That's the big picture of transformation. That's why God has prepared you for far more than a normal life on earth. I, th I think our, um, our vision of ourselves and our lives are so truncated that almost like an animal by instinct, we do what we do every day, right? We wake up, we do this, we do that, and we're in this little cage, and we forget that our cage is really in a universe where God says there's more going on than just getting on that little spinny thing that you call life. I am in love with you. I will make you like me. That's why Romans 8.28 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Your destiny is for his glory. Not for you to have a good life, a cushy time, 
but for you to be like him. That's why he chose you. And he will totally transform us into Christ's image when we die or if we're alive when Christ returns. Here's what 1 John 3 says. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see that? <laughs> That's amazing. In our future perfected state, we will actually see God. This is what theologians have called the beatific vision. Have you ever heard that term? It means uh, the vision that makes you happy, totally blessed, the sight of God, where everything melts away and God is all in all. That's why in Revelation 22, remember at the end in the new creation, it says this, they will see his face. Paul says, now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Wow. One of my mentors Dr. Charles Smith, this is many years ago in college, said these beautiful words only a few months before he died when he was asked to give a sermon. What a thrill it would be to hear the sound of the trumpet, to see the heavens rolled back like a scroll, to be caught up instantly in the air, to be with the Lord forever. But most of us, if not all of us, must pass through that moment of death. But even that, too, has its delights. Can you even begin to imagine what it would mean as you are slipping from this life while you are looking into the faces of the ones you hold most dear on earth to suddenly find yourself looking into the face of the one who is the most loved and to find yourself instantly transported into heaven? The thing that excites me most, he said, about going to be with the Lord is that at the moment I leave this body of corruption, I will be purged of sin and will be forever holy. We look forward to that day of reunion when all the people of God will be brought together into the presence of the Lord. What a delight we will have in getting accustomed to our newly acquired resurrection bodies we will see the Lamb of God. For the first time, we will realize the full meaning of his sacrificial death, the suffering he endured for us. For the first time, we will be able to fully experience the breadth of his love, the depth of his grace, the scope of his wisdom, the extent of his power, the brilliance of his glory. And then in chorus with the inhabitants of heaven, we will cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Then in perfected bodies with perfected minds, we will experience perfect love and fellowship throughout eternity. Now that is an experience 
to die for. <laughs> Dr. Smith said. So this year, let's deepen our hope in God's gracious promise to fully transform us to be with him forever. But there's even more. It's not just for the future. And so, my scripture verse today, I'll ask you to turn to, you notice we didn't have our normal scripture reading of a long passage. <laughs> I'm going to give you a short one. It's one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Now, while you're turning there, I'll just tell you that this verse talks about transformation now. And I got to thinking about uh, around our house uh, in the springtime, one thing I like to do is clean things up, you know, from the winter mess or the fall stuff that I didn't even get to. And uh, a few years ago, I noticed that our sidewalks, the concrete, was really dirty. And uh, there are two ways to clean it up. And my normal way is using a power washer. And man, do I love a power washer, right? As long as I don't, you know, keep it away from my feet or my hands. Because, you know, you, you just turn that baby on and psh, instant clean. You could say instant destruction if you hold it too long, right? But, you know, you learn to just, wow, the concrete looks brand new in seconds. And then I heard about another product that was simply sprayed on and it would produce the same effects, just like power washing. It would bring it back to brand new, except when I, when I did it, you know, I looked the next day when I didn't power wash, I tried this new stuff. It looked just the same. It looked just as dirty. And then I looked again at the label, and this is what it says. Reaction time. Once treated, stains may take up to 6 to 12 months to come clean. <laughs> so I was 6? Six? 6 months? That'll be... So the next day, no, no don't even worry about it. Like, and then it must have been six to 12 months later, I happened to say to my wife, hey, look at that, the front sidewalk. I mean, you compare it to our neighbors, it's like, wow, it's like they freshly laid concrete. Except, look, that's where I ran out. I forgot to do <laughs> that, that six-foot space. <laughs> but it was like, Oh, yeah, I, but it was being transformed, it was being cleaned every second of every day. I just didn't see it because it was happening so slowly. Maybe you've had that experience at the holidays, right? If you've got little kids and you've got a family that maybe hasn't seen them in a while, oh, they've grown a foot. And you say, oh, or they say, no, I haven't. No, there's transformation happening. And our transformation in this life 
is not like power washing, although you may really want that to be true. That's usually not the way God changes us. It's more like that chemical spray that seeps in and works quietly, slowly over time. You ready for the verse? Oh, I have to tell you one more background piece here. Sorry. Paul, Paul in writing 2 Corinthians 3, is going back to the book of Exodus and talking about God's glory as Moses saw it when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Remember the story? He went up to the mountain. God talked to him face to face. When he came down from the mountain, there was something very strange about Moses' face. But it glowed with light. Because apparently getting that close to God rubbed off, literally, on the skin of Moses. And it glowed. It was radiant for a while. And then gradually it started to diminish. So it says in the book of Exodus, in order not to really freak out the people, Moses, always, when he came down off the mountain, he always wore a veil over his face so that they weren't scared by the light or curious the way it faded. I know it sounds strange, but if you go back to Exodus uh, chapter 35, that's, or 34, that's what you can read there. All right, so now Paul is going to say, we're sort of like Moses, but sort of not like Moses. You ready for the verse? It's verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just like Moses' face glowed when he saw God's glory because it was transformed by God's light. So our heart's disposition changes when we see God's glory. We will have an inner glow that people will notice. Just like the sight of God, when Moses saw him, burned light into Moses' skin so our limited sight of God's glory burns away our sin and impresses Christ's image deep into our inner person. That's amazing. And that's wonderful. How do you change as a Christian? How are we transformed? Well, it says in verse 18, and this is the NIV 2011 that says, we contemplate the Lord's glory. Now, what's difficult if you've got a different Bible version is it probably doesn't translate it that way. This Greek word is only used here in the New Testament. So when you have one of these once-only uses, sometimes it's hard to figure out what it means. Some of your Bible verses will say, beholding, looking at the Lord's glory. The older NIV says, reflecting the Lord's glory. And you might say, well, 
Come on, can't, can't we get our act together here? What does the word mean? Well, it means something like looking into a mirror and seeing something. So let's just take the word beholding. That's what it means. Contemplating. It's not just glancing, you know, like, oh, I'll take a quick look up to the balcony. But it's, oh, beholding. It's gazing. That's why the NIV translates it contemplating. Contemplating what? God's glory. Just like Moses went to be with God and saw God, so we, by going to be with God and seeing God's glory. Well, how do you do that? Moses saw it physically with his eyes and his skin was changed. You and I see it with the eyes of our heart and are changed. Listen to what Paul says in the next chapter. 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You can see things in your hearts, right, in your imagination. That's what Paul says. When you hear the good news about Jesus and see him for who he really is, something mysterious and miraculous happens. It's the beatific vision. You actually see God. Not literally with your eyes, but spiritually with your heart. And that happens when you become a believer in Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never really seen, you've heard, but you've never digested, you've tasted. Here's another analogy, right? You've smelled the odor of a food. You've maybe even taken a little bite, but you've never swallowed it and digested the meal. Well, it's time to do it. Look at the light of Jesus, who he is, how much he loves you, and he's died for you, and he's risen for you, and he's calling you. I, I'll never forget one man in this church told me it was, it was during a communion service, and he said, the lights came on, <laughs> or maybe he said light, I don't remember, but it was the idea was, I I just heard these words, and then suddenly it was a new universe. Everything looked different, like cataracts were taken off his spiritual eyes. And that doesn't just happen once. It happens again and again and again. And when you contemplate something mysterious happens, God transforms. Listen to the verse again. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Not were. 
It's a present tense. And this word is where we get our word metamorphosis. You know that, right? The caterpillar that transforms into a butterfly. I was going to give an illustration about Transformer movies. And I thought, I didn't see them. <laughs> I should have seen them, maybe. But anyway, if you want to know about them, check it out on your own. Maybe there's an illustration. Is there an illustration there, Jim? Maybe. Shep, where are you? Oh, he's teaching Sunday school today. Jake, he's teaching Sunday school. All right. But that's the illustration that God built into nature. Metamorphosis. God changes our fundamental character, our thinking, our heart's desires. So if you go like to um, Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lists the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Here's, I just picked two that God will transform. One is uh, hatred, and God transforms that in his people into love. Not with a power washer, remember. Here's another one that's listed. The works of the flesh, discord. God will put peace in its place. That's what God's working on in your heart, in your life. He wants you to be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, last month, last year. And since this present tense shows God's ongoing action, this transformation is gradual, but it's constant. That's why the NIV translates it with ever-increasing glory. Maybe it's two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back. But the slope is going upward. It is in your life. You don't see it, but it is. That's, you know, the, the, the more I thought about this, I start to see it all over the Bible. So here's Job chapter 42. You know the story of Job, right? At the end of the book, after God has spoken to him his word, Job says this, God I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely, I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said to me, listen now, I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You ever have an experience like that where you have seen God? You have really experienced Him. That's a transformation moment. Now, the only other time this verse, or, sorry, this word, metamorphosis, is used in the New Testament for Christians is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'll just read it and let you see how it's saying the same thing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. See, it starts with you thinking, seeing God. And once you do that, He starts to melt and burn away your sin. So what about number three, the practice of our transformation? I I remind you, we cannot transform ourselves. Only God can do that. But we must be active in this process of transformation, which means how do you see God's glory? I mean, that sounds very theoretical, doesn't it? You know, see God's glory. Okay. Well, how? Well, you know, uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth speaks of His handiworks. Now, last week, Pastor Jim encouraged us to take a nap for God's glory, which I did this week. But he also said, take a walk and rest. Now, I'm going to follow up on that. When you take a walk, look around. Look around at God's world from the sky to the birds to the worms to the trees. This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world, the hymn says. He shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass. I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Secondly, look for God's glory in the lives of other believers. You'll be able to see it. A few weeks ago, I got an email from someone in the church, and I'm just capturing a sentence or two about what she wrote to me. She talked about being in the hospital, and her roommate needed to know about Jesus. So she just says, how's that for a divine appointment? We're keeping in touch now, and I will visit her when I'm better. I just wanted to share this God moment with you. How great is our God, exclamation point. I have great hope that God is at work here to bring this woman to the Messiah before she passes into eternity. Now, you know, when, when a pastor reads that f- from somebody in the church, it's like, okay, day over. That's, right? That's like almost makes me, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. Why? Because I see in this woman's life and in her words the glory of God transforming her, not complaining about being there with a roommate in a hospital, and in a hospital, why am I sick at Christmas time? Wow. But the best place to see God's glory is in Scripture the very breath of God, the God-breathed Word from God. And Jesus, who's revealed there, that's why we're going through the Gospel of Mark. One reason 
is because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And, you know, I thought we're going through Mark. And one of my favorite passages is in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus actually walks on the stormy sea. You, you all know that story, right? So, can you, can, you, can, can you actually take it and contemplate it? Think about Jesus and all his power over nature. And then if you remember, it was more than just walking on water that was being taught there. He passed by the ship because he was teaching them more and more. And I've got to stop there, but that's, that's an example. Take something from the gospel. Take anything from any part of Scripture because everything in Scripture radiates the beauty of God. I'm convicted when I think about the time I spend gazing at my screens, my little one, my bigger ones. And that probably doesn't transform me. Sometimes it deforms me, right? But the, but the promise of Scripture is the closer you get to God, the more He will transform you. And so finally I'll say, be patient with yourself. With yourself. God knows that you can change, and He is changing you, although you may not notice it right away. Can you be patient with yourself? I know some of you, oh, you've tried, you think you'll never change. <clears throat> Excuse me. You will never defeat that sin. You will never get any grasp on your, and fill in the blank. And if that's your attitude, I'm here to tell you that's flat out wrong. You can change. You are changing. You will be changed. Just don't look for the power washer change with ever-increasing glory. And if I say it about myself and yourself, then that means when you look at other people, we need a big dose of patience, don't we? Oh, do we? <laughs> because, oh, I can change, but they won't. Now, we don't say that out loud, but that's kind of the way that... I haven't talked to that person in years. Why? Because of something they said back then or the way they treated me. What? We are Christians. We should love each other, be patient with each other, forgive each other, bear with one another, help them along. If God is renewing you, he's also transforming them. And maybe it means you will actually help them. You know? I was, I was with somebody for lunch, and they were talking about their life, and they just came out with a statement like, you know, I just can't see living without trying to help somebody else. And I just thought, it just blew me. I had to put my fork down and say, you know, that's amazing that you would say that. Thank you for reminding me and for saying life is more than just getting, getting, getting. 
Now, I hope that was an encouragement to him because it was an encouragement to me. That'll go a long way in helping people see that God is transforming them. So, my final word to you. Remember that God's plan is to populate this planet with people who are just like his son. And he is transforming you that way. Keep beholding his glory. So, Father, we thank you now for this worship service. When we can see you, we can feel you, we can hear you, and how we pray that we would not just say, okay, that's done. Lord, may the rest of today and Monday and Tuesday and the rest of our lives on earth be dominated by contemplating your beautiful glory and seeing how you will change us from one step of glory to another until we see you face to face. We long for that day. In Christ's name, amen.